0: Hello, gang. Bill Creasy here with another episode of Scripture Uncovered. Well, here we are in week four of Lent, the run-up to Holy Week and Easter, a time that remembers, that marks our redemption. And that got me to thinking about Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 and 6, the kinsman redeemer. Let me read the verses to you. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. The Kinsman Redeemer I'm the oldest of three boys in my family, myself, my brother Don comes next, and my brother Bob after him. If we were a patriarchal family, when my father died back in 2008, I would become the patriarch of the family. I would receive the entire inheritance and I would run the show. If I died before I had a son, what would happen next? My brother, Don, would become the patriarch. But if I died without having a son, it's his obligation, according to Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 and 6, to marry my widow and to have a son with her. And that son would become the legal heir. That son, by my brother Don and my widow, would become heir to the family fortune, such as it is. Why would he want to do that? Why by doing that, he would disinherit himself. So why would he do it? Well, I'd like to explore that question. And I'd like to do so by turning over to one of my favorite books in the entire Bible, the book of Ruth. Now, many of you have taken classes with me and have heard me teach the book of Ruth, but I'd like to look at it just here for a moment on the podcast. The book of Ruth takes place back in the days when the judges ruled. And oh, they were terrible times. If we read Genesis through Judges the linear narrative of Genesis through Judges. When we get to the end of the book of Judges, things are really bad. Why, you couldn't travel the roads. It was too dangerous What for the bandits. There was a famine. There was disorder. An economic collapse. Enemies invading from every side. An awful time. And if we turn and we look back over our shoulders and we look at that charred and smoking and bloody landscape, it's a horrible thing to behold. But then looking closely, we see a flash of light in the muck and the mire. And we turn back and we pick it up. And it's the Book of Ruth. A bright, shining gem in an otherwise bleak landscape. The Book of Ruth. Back in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. It was a literal famine, but it was also a moral, ethical, and religious famine. People had given up on God. They turned their backs on him and walked away. But during that time of famine, there was a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his wife and two sons who went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went to Moab to live there for a while. Well, Elimelech, his name means God is my king, from Bethlehem, Bethlehem, the house of bread, in Judah, Judah means praise. So God is my king from the house of bread and praise, along with his wife Naomi, which means pleasant, and their two boys, Mahon and Kilion. Mahon means sickly, and Kilion means puny. So God is my king from the house of bread and praise, along with little Mary Sunshine and the two boys, sickly and puny, went to live for a while in Moab. Moab. In the Psalms, God says, Moab is my wash pot. Or perhaps more literally, Moab is my toilet. So this wonderful family Left the house of bread and praise, and they went to live for a while in God's toilet. Moab is on the east side of the Jordan River, in the nation Jordan today. And the Moabites were despised by the Israelites. They were traditional enemies. Why, for an Israelite, there was no one lower than a Moabite. But that's where the family went. And things went from bad to worse. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And now, Naomi, little Mary Sunshine, is a widow. And the only people she has to take care of her are her two sons, Sickly and Puny. And while they were in Moab, Sickly and Puny married two Moabite women. Why, you would never marry a Moabite woman. You would never even speak to a Moabite woman. But they married two Moabite women. One's name was Orpah, which means fawn, like a little deer, and the other, Ruth. Now Ruth is a little harder to translate, but I think of Ruth as glamour. Glamour, as an Audrey Hepburn. Well, after they had lived there for ten years, both sickly and puny died. <laughs> Told you they were sickly and puny. And now Naomi is left with the two Moabite girls, Orpah and Ruth. How could things get any worse? They, poor Naomi, has hit rock bottom. Well, when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. So they're going back to Bethlehem. With her two daughters-in-law in tow, she left the place and that she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So she went right down to the king's highway, began walking north until coming opposite Jericho, down off the mountains, ford the river Jericho up to Jerusalem and seven kilometers south to Bethlehem. But as they were walking along the King's Highway, when it came time to head west, down toward Jericho, Naomi had second thoughts. And she said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown kindness to your dad and to me. And may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Naomi knew that if the two girls, the two Moabite girls, went back to Bethlehem, they were finished. No man in Bethlehem would have anything to do with them. They would be left as young widows with no means of support. No, no. It's far better, far better to go back home. She kissed them. They wept aloud and said to her, No, no, we'll go with you to your people. But Naomi said, No, return home, my daughters. Come on, why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who would become your husbands? No. Nobody in Bethlehem will have anything to do with you. Besides, I'm I'm way too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight, and then gave birth to sons, like Sarah in my old age, would you wait until they grew up? No, you'd be old women yourself by then. No. That's not what we should do. It's better for you that you return home. As for me, the Lord's hand has gone out against me. You know, I used to think very highly of God, but after what he's done to me these ten years, losing my husband, my two sons, my home, my family, everything. No. Well, this, they wept again. And then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah headed south on the King's Highway back home, but Ruth embraced Naomi and would not let go. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. That's one of the most moving expressions of love in all of scripture. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, why, the whole town buzzed because of them. Oh, all the women were saying, could this be Naomi? Naomi? Oh, the years have been bad. They haven't treated her well at all. Look at her. She overheard the gossip. And Naomi replied, Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Pleasant. Don't call me Mary Sunshine. Call me Mara. Bitter. Because I am a bitter old woman now. The Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full. We left Bethlehem. We had a home. We had land. We had wealth. We had sons. I had a wonderful husband. And I have lost everything. The Lord has brought me back empty. He stripped it all from me. My gosh, I feel like Job. Why call me Naomi? Why call me pleasant? Why call me merry sunshine? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought great misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth, you know, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law. Arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. That would be in the springtime. So they found a little shack to live in on a dirt road outside of Bethlehem. Not much of a, not much of a home. Tiny broken windows. But they made it clean. Planted flowers in the yard. Put up a little white picket fence around the house. Painted the house. And one morning as Naomi and Ruth sat at the breakfast table, sharing a meager meal. Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. It's the barley harvest, springtime. The crops are ready to come in. And God had said back in Leviticus chapter 19 that when you harvest your field, when you cut the grain and bundle it, make only one pass through the field. And anything left over should be for the poor. Well, apparently Ruth had heard about this. Let me glean in the field. Let me pick up the leftovers. At least we'll have barley to eat. Naomi, there's no other choice. He said, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and she began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. Now, a little note here. We read in chapter 2, verse 1, that Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of great standing in Bethlehem. His name was Boaz. Boaz means strength. So Naomi went out to the fields. She walked down the hills from Bethlehem to what we call today shepherd's fields where the shepherds were watching their flocks by night when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It was agricultural land. And Ruth walked down the dirt road. She looked in one field. The harvesters were working. And the foreman said, Go on, get out of here. We don't want you around. We don't want your kind here. She went to another field. Same thing. We don't want you here. Go away. But then she came to another field. Lots of workers in the field. She looked, and the foreman said, Please come, come in. You're welcome. You, you may glean. Well, as it turned out, she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, just then, just at that time, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. So Boaz had been up in Bethlehem I imagine him being uh, on the board of directors of the Bank of Bethlehem. They had a board meeting, and of course, everyone was talking about this Moabite woman who came back with Naomi. Oh, poor Naomi, she looked awful. But there was this young girl with her. Oh, beautiful, glamorous. But you know, she's a Moabite. Well, Boaz was coming back from his meeting at the Bank of Bethlehem, and he was driving a green Range Rover. He came up to the fields. He waved out the window. He said, the Lord be with you, waving at the harvesters. And they all waved back, the Lord bless you. And Boaz pulled that Range Rover up, parked it beneath the tree, got out, said hello to the foreman, said hello to the workers. And Boaz noticed this young woman gleaning in the field behind the workers. And he asked the foreman, who's the girl? And the foreman replied, oh, she's the, you know, the the Moabitess uh, that came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. You told me that any poor person is welcome here in the field to, to glean if they would like. So I allowed her in. I hope I didn't offend you she went into the field she's been working hard all morning long except for a short break mid morning so boaz walked over to ruth she was working and he said good morning and she looked up at him and and cast her eyes to the ground after all this was the great the great man who owned the field and, and She had heard about him. He was on the board of directors of the Bank of Bethlehem. Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls, watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the girls.' You know, we're living during the time of the judges. It's not safe to travel. It's not safe to be on the roads. There are a lot of bad people out there. So don't go anywhere else. Come back here tomorrow. You're welcome here till the end of the harvest. I've told my men not to touch you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the red igloo cooler on the back of my Range Rover. Nice cold water in it. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you didn't know. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Ruth is stunned. She never expected such a thing from person from Israel. They were traditional enemies. They looked down on Moabites. She said to Boaz, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I I don't have the standing of even one of your servant girls. Well, when it came time for lunch, Ruth was going to sit over by herself beneath the tree. And Boaz said, no, come come over here, please. A table had been set up under the trees. Lunch was served. The foreman was there, the important people, of, 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 of the employees. Boaz was seated at the head of the table. Oh, a nice hot lunch was coming. And Boaz said to Ruth, please, come over here. Come sit beside me. Here, have some bread, dip it in the wine. It's good. She sat down with the harvesters, and he offered her some roasted grain, and she ate all she wanted and had some left over. Why, she hadn't eaten all she wanted for quite a long time. And she even had some left over, and she asked him for a doggy bag. She did. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Even if she gathers among the sheaves, she's working hard, she's getting up there with the harvesters themselves. Even if she does, do not embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. Treat her with respect. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. I told you she had a doggy bag. Why, Naomi is stunned. She had been watching out the window all day long because she didn't know what would happen to Ruth going down into the fields. Times were were not safe. It was not, not safe to be there. Naomi was worried about her, and she'd been watching. And then finally, finally, right about dinner time, Ruth came down the road carrying that sack of grain. Her mother-in-law asked her, My goodness, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Oh, I blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth told her mother-in-law, about the one whose place she had been working. She said, Well, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. And then Naomi, Oh, I forgot all about Boaz. Well, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. He was always a very generous man. And she added, That man is a close relative. Why, that man is a kinsman redeemer. Did you catch that? Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. The one we talked about in Deuteronomy 25. Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 and 6. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. So Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. Her two sons died, so who's the next living relative? Boaz, He is the kinsman-redeemer. He could marry Ruth and redeem not only the property the family had lost, but also redeem Ruth. Huh. Well, you know how this story turns out. I've taught Ruth many a time. You know how it turns out. There is another another relative, even closer. But Boaz will deal with him. Boaz, in fact, marries Ruth. They have a child. And that child has a child. And that child has a child. Why? The little boy... Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the women all said to Naomi, Why, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. And Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and cared for him. And the women said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of King David. Oh, I just love this story. I could cry every time I read it. But it, it, it's one of my favorite books in all of Scripture. But what do we learn about the kinsman redeemer from Deuteronomy 25 and from the book of Ruth? To be a kinsman redeemer, the person must have the position. That is, he must be the next nearest relative. He can't just be anybody, the next nearest relative. He must be willing to redeem. In the story of Ruth, there was another relative closer, but he was not willing. He was not willing to disinherit himself to marry this Moabite, and he had to have the resources. Boaz had to have the cash to write the check to redeem the property and to redeem Ruth. So the kinsman redeemer must have the position, the willingness, and the resources. It's the only place we learn about the kinsman redeemer, Deuteronomy 25 and here in Ruth. Christ is our kinsman redeemer. Christ redeemed us as we're leading into Holy Week and Good Friday and Easter morning. Christ redeemed us and only he could do it because He had the position. He was fully God and fully man. He was one of us. He had the willingness. Christ went to the cross willingly. No one forced him. He wasn't caught in a trap of of political and religious intrigue. Why? When he was at the Mount of Transfiguration, they left that Mount of Transfiguration where the voice of God before two credible witnesses, Moses and Elijah, validated Peter's confession of faith at Caesarea Philippi. This is my son, my beloved. Listen to him. He was fully God and fully human. And he willingly went to that cross. When he left the Mount of Transfiguration, they headed straight to Jerusalem and the cross. And frankly, in Jerusalem, during Holy Week, Jesus did everything within his power to ensure that crucifixion. And he had the resources. Christ could not redeem us from our sin if he had his own sin to deal with. He was sinless. He had the resources to redeem us. So those little verses in Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6, boy, they tell quite the tale. And once we fill in the details, we have a marvelous story. So as we're moving into Holy Week and Good Friday and Easter, keep in mind the story of Ruth. Keep in mind Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. Keep in mind Christ our Redeemer and you know why did Christ do all this why did he go to the cross why did he suffer so horribly and do it willingly we are redeemed by the shed blood of Christ on the cross that's the operative action that enables our redemption but what's the motive what's the motive for Christ redeeming us The motive is the very same motive that Boaz had. Boaz loved Ruth. You know, Christ went to that cross because he loved us. And he is our kinsman redeemer. Well, have a blessed week, my friends. I will come back to you next week as we're headed right down toward Holy Week and Easter. Bye-bye now.